0: Welcome back to the Laser 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Walensky, the laser dentist. You know, I love the interactions that I'm receiving from so many of you. It just confirms that there's real people out there. You, know, you never know. And you're listening. So I can see all the metrics and all that kind of thing, but it's really neat to receive actual messages from you. So thank you so much. Well, based on the conversation that I had with Dr. Featherstone a few weeks back I thought it might be helpful to give you an example of research that's well done versus other research. It's um, certainly not my intention by any stretch of the imagination to, uh, as they say, drag someone under the bus or uh, anything like that. But I thought that a quick review would be helpful. And so I think by now, everybody's heard of something called predatory journals. And for a long time, you know what, I, I wondered why They were called predatory because, you know, they allowed academics who couldn't get a paper published in other journals, you know, in actually truly peer-reviewed journals to publish papers that might not normally be accepted. So, you know, how is that predatory? But then it occurred to me that the reason that there's a publication fee is so that you can get your work into these journals and covers the cost of the publication, the layout, the design and whatnot, and peer review. But it's pretty obvious that the peer review part—that's not happening. So, I, I guess that's the the uh, the reason that they're called predatory. The problem is there are so many of these—I'm going to say—bogus journals and authors now that it's it's really complicating things, and not getting into all the possibilities that are now here with chat GPT uh, that's going to make it even uh, even murkier waters and it's going to happen really really quickly some of the papers are getting cataloged then they get referenced and then you know we're doing research and we're looking for looking up a topic that's related uh, someone who's maybe a a newer researcher in the field and I'm not just talking about lasers I'm talking about anything uh, you know they might think that this is a qualified paper and That is a problem. So, uh, you know, the, the, the topics that I'm researching, no one's likely to get injured, but, you know, in other fields of medicine, think about it. There could be some serious ramifications. So today I've chosen a pretty innocuous topic, and I did so for a reason, and that is to use lasers to remove bonded orthodontic brackets. And the reason I chose this topic is that literally the day after I interviewed Dr. Featherstone, I was scrolling through my Google Scholar feed and up popped a paper published in March of 2023, so it's very current, using a diode laser to debond orthodontic brackets. Yeah, it sounded odd to me too. I remember when they used to test diodes for removing ortho brackets to heat up the resin, but I thought, you know, that question was put to bed years ago. But, you know, because diodes are absorbed into pigment and To a lesser extent, water. The only structure anywhere near an ortho ortho bracket with those properties is the dental pulp. Anyway, that got me to thinking about Dr. Featherstone's comments during our interview, where he was um, talking about reading literature and wondering, why are you doing that? So let's have a peek at this paper then. And, you know, again, without uh, going into specific details about authorship, et cetera, et cetera, uh, this is a paper that was published in March of 2023 on using a diode laser to debond orthodontic ceramic brackets, and it's in vitro. And what they wanted to do, the aim of the study was to see how effective a 940 nanometer diode was at debonding ceramic brackets. They um, used the methods and materials, 66 premolar teeth were fitted with ceramic brackets uh, either monocrystalline or polycrystalline. And from now on, I'll call them mono or poly. And then um, they tested shear bond strength with just using the traditional uh, method of removing them versus uh, after treating with uh, diode laser at either two watts or five watts. And there's there's questions that that start coming up here. And then in the results section, it says there was significant increase in intrapulpal temperature, but beyond the critical temperature elevation five and a half degrees C. So obviously they're referring to Zach and Cohen's study, but it says, but beyond. So I'm assuming it's not beyond, but you know that's something that an editor uh, or peer review would, would catch. And the conclusion is that the diode laser reduced both the critical pulp temperature and the debonding force required for monocrystalline brackets and polycrystalline brackets radiated by the five watt laser. Uh, diode laser reduced the pulp temperature, which that's interesting. As we get through uh, into the different groups, there's basically two groups of three, meaning that in group one, they have the, uh, the uh, control group and then group two is a two watt laser for three seconds and group three is a five watt laser for three seconds and that's on poly brackets. And then four, five, and six, those are mono brackets. And then the first, uh, I guess, four is control. Five is two watts. Six is five watts. So pretty straightforward. And then uh, mounted them in blocks. Cavity preparation. This was another thing that was interesting to me because I don't don't quite understand. So they used a water-cooled diamond-cutting disc, and they cut vertically from the occlusal surface to make a hole-like access makes an endodontic treatment to be able to insert a K-type thermocouple tip. So if I'm using a diamond disc cutting vertically from the occlusal, that's not normally how we make endo access. So that's a little bit confusing there. Then they go through the bonding procedure that they did, the measuring the temperature, uh, measuring the shear bond strength, and then this was interesting because it was really confusing. Um, step number nine, recording the quantity of adhesive left behind, which is valid. So this is on a scale of five scale. Number one is the adhesive was completely removed from the tooth scale. Number five, there was no adhesive left on the tooth. So to me, that's pretty much, um, I mean that that's that's the same it was completely removed and no adhesive was left on the, on the tooth so uh, confusion it, it would have been picked up in peer review and what else do we have here oh this was really confusing too they 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 go on to discuss the shear bond strength and say that while there was no significant difference between groups 1 and 2 which you remember are the uh, control and then 2 watts on poly there was a significant difference between groups three and four, which is five watts on poly and then the control on the mono, which I'm not sure how that relates. And then what makes it even more confusing is in the very next sentence, it says there was no significant difference between groups three, four, and five. So You know, was there a significant difference between three and four, or there was no significant difference between three, four, and five? So these are the things that, you know, I I don't mean to sound like a cranky old whatever, but these are the things that do make me kind of cranky. You know, I probably, well... I would likely not be this far into the paper uh, at this point if I was reading as a resource. And then, regarding the shear uh, strength of the shear bond, the results of the present study revealed that the employment of a five-watt diode laser for debonding was effective significantly in decreasing the poly brackets needed bonding debonding force, which disagreed with Felden. And then that disagrees with the very next paragraph, which says a diode laser with two or five. Watts power considerably decreased the bonding strength of monocrystalline brackets, but not polycrystalline. So you know it 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 does or it doesn't. And what I found interesting that um, they kept referring to Felden's work, which I was not familiar with. So I'll explain that in a moment. But you know at this point we have no idea whether it's. I'm going to assume that it's a continuous wave. But you know how do you how do you reproduce this study? If you don't know whether it's um, a pulsed or, or continuous, I have no idea. I'm going to make an assumption that it's an uninitiated fiber. I have no idea about the fiber size. And I have no idea about the direction of the beam. Right? Are we going through the bracket? Are we going parallel to the tooth? Or in some other direction? Because it's three seconds, so it's kind of hard to move it around. But I mean, even that are we moving it around or are we just keeping it uh, in uh, fixed in motion? So the results of this study revealed that the pulp temperature was it dramatically enhanced five and a half degrees after three seconds of laser radiation with two or five Watts of power using either of the brackets. Uh, I went back to um, what year is this? I think it's 2010. Yes. 2010 uh, Paul Felden and um an orthodontist and his paper is diode laser debonding of ceramic brackets and you know the methods two types of ceramic brackets mono and poly were bonded the diode laser was applied to the brackets in the experiment for three seconds and you know what powers did they use you guessed it, two and five watts so um and then basically the uh, the results the conclusion of this paper are surprisingly similar to the paper that was just uh, that I just referenced. So the other reason that I chose this topic because this is only going to be uh, of interest to those with uh, who are actually doing this procedure is that at the same time uh, another paper came uh, across my Google Scholar feed and this one was done in uh, Barcelona with um, uh, Tony Espana and uh, Joseph Arnabat, and the first author is Mohamed Zamzam, and the second author is Omar Hamadeh, and it's the comparative study of transmission of 2940 nanometer wavelengths, so it's Erbim Yag, in six different aesthetic orthodontic brackets. So here we have different types of orthodontic brackets, so they use different brands of monocrystalline, polycrystalline, silicon, and composite and um so we get through there are two types of ceramic brackets according to their structure poly and mono um one of the things i i i I don't know because it's so informal and i find this in a lot of papers is the word nowadays and um i I wish i wish you guys would stop using nowadays It, it it makes me cranky um Previously, all all the wavelengths have been tested. So previous studies have confirmed the superiority of using erbium lasers, either one of them, and to a lesser degree, CO2, just because it hasn't been tested, not because it's uh, an inferior uh, result, over other lasers for the debonding of ceramic brackets. Using erbium lasers has become an approved technique. And then according to uh, Ostoprak in uh, 2010, same uh, year as Felden, the use of a laser reduces the time and effort needed for the debonding of brackets. Okay, well, you can actually hear me turning pages here, get to the uh, some of the end, here we go. So in the discussion section, as the Erbium YAG laser is absorbed well by water, The laser energy turns into heat within the bonding resin, resulting vapor and the debonding of the ceramic bracket from the tooth. The laser's power to penetrate is affected by the bracket material. And during their, uh, I I skipped over it, but during their methods and materials, they did describe the manner in which they were uh, delivering the laser energy into these six different types of ceramic brackets, and it was parallel to the tooth. So no studies have been carried out On the transmission of 2940, so no studies have been carried out on this specific, uh, you know, erbimiag wavelength through different types of aesthetic orthodontic brackets, whereas, you know, the other one, the exact same study was done in 2010. Another important factor which affects the transmission is the thickness of the bracket, which is helpful, and then finally we get to the conclusions here, and that is among the studied aesthetic brackets, the mono sapphire brackets have the highest transmissibility for this uh, erbium:YAG wavelength, which is helpful. The thick polycrystalline and composite brackets have the lowest transmissibility. So that what that means is you're going to need to use more energy, right, to get through those brackets, or maybe it's not even appropriate. The high transmission values of the tested wavelength. Within the monocrystalline sapphire brackets indicate that less pulse power and energy are required. After testing of all the other related factors, the good transmission values of the silicon brackets lead us to consider using 2940 um, wavelength laser 4D bonding. And so here we have a paper that has never been studied before and with actual, I don't know, Good helpful information. So there it is. I apologize for sounding a bit cranky, but there's just too much either deliberate or even accidental shenanigans, as they used to say, going on. I, I did a little research on this topic myself, and I came across an article that was published in the journal called Science in October of 2018, five years ago. That article reported that there was a tenfold increase in the number of retracted articles in the 10 years previous with fraud accounting for 60% of those retractions one author had almost 90 retractions after investigators concluded that he had fabricated data and committed other ethical violations now understand i am not saying that you know this this particular group did anything unethical um uh, I'm just giving some examples because it's hard. It's so hard to follow because, in some cases, it's the editorial board who's not really checking on things. Because I've read articles where they have uh, just fraudulent papers created by uh, you know these are groups, watchdog groups that they make up an author and give them all these um, accolades and 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 they say that they published all these fake papers. And um, in some cases, the editorial board rejects the paper because, you know, it's fake. And in other cases, they just sort of let it through. And in some cases, there are people using these, you know, just pay kind of pay for play. You pay and they'll publish your paper. So the the kind of scary thing is that this was a doctor. This is that guy that um, had 90 90 retractions. They decided that he... (laughs) may have even harmed patients by encouraging um, the adoption of an unproven surgical treatment. So now that list is publicly searchable, searchable, and five years ago when that article was published, there were 18,000 papers in it. I just searched it today, and there's more than 43,000 retracted papers and conference abstracts. So in 2018, only 500 of more than 30,000 authors named in the retraction database accounted for one-third of the retractions. So I guess my point is, you can't believe everything you read when evaluating scientific papers. Please do so with a very critical eye and, I guess, be a little cranky. Well, that's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, if you have any comments or suggestions for how to improve our podcast, please send me an email at chris at laser101.com. Join us next time as we continue to explore the fascinating world of lasers and dentistry and the people who make it happen here on the Laser 101 Podcast.